Hi, welcome to the Back to Biz School podcast. I'm your host, Brian Tse, and this is episode 2. No club events this coming finals week, so good luck to everyone for our final presentations and exams. Without further ado, let's dive right into the second half of my interview with Lim Turn Po. Looking at your very illustrious resume, you did the, the computing masters uh, in 2020 to 2022, right? So what gave you that, okay, you know, I really have an advanced diploma, I already have a degree, I already have a master's in computing. Yeah. What gave you that, make mm. that decision mm-hmm. to go into the NUS MBA? Mm, sure. Um, the reason why I want to do an MBA uh, is that when I was at AI Singapore, I was already leading teams to do projects with companies. And I was also advising companies uh, that want to get started on AI in terms of what they can do, what they should do, and how they should do it. One problem that I realized is that, right, uh, there's, uh, and this is what I, I, I learned, I have the opportunity to talk to different teams in their organizations in preparation uh, for my consultation sessions. right. So when I speak to the leaders, uh, I speak to the media manager separately, uh, what I sense is that there's uh, uh, some sort of disconnect. The business leader at a high, on top management right, will have certain ideas in place. Uh, but the problem is that these ideas are too high level. They are not able to translate into concrete terms where the uh, AI technical teams can understand and implement. Right? So when I go and talk to the, uh, AI, uh, the, the software teams or the technical teams, uh, in terms of what can be done or what should be done, um, the, 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 the key message that I keep hearing consistently across different organizations is that they are not very sure what the leaders actually want. Right? Um, that there's a, there's a disconnect between the business and the technical side. Right? And that's why I think going forward, right, uh, when AI is going to be a key competitive advantage uh, in a lot of companies and a lot of industry, a leader need to have both good technical background so you can lead the engineering team and to give very specific instructions on what should be done next, right? And at the same time, right, strong strategic foresight in terms of where the business should be going forward. So I, I think having a master computing, a strong technical background in AI, right, give you the advantage of talking to the technical team. Uh, at the same time, I think by having an MBA, uh, it can give you the strong uh, comprehensive overview of a organizations and how to run a business effectively. So if I have this tool, right, then I can be a better leader uh, in future where I can talk to the finance as easy as I can talk to the head of engineering. I can ensure that everyone in the organization is aligned in terms of what should be done. Right? I have no problem reading codes. You can submit your reports to me in codes, no problem. You can submit reports to me in PowerPoint slides, no problem as well. I'm equally able to talk to everybody in their own languages. I think this is where uh, I will be able to add a lot of the values for organizations going forward. Mm-mm-mm. I think you're right. I think a lot of people tend to, and not 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 wrong, but they tend to pigeonhole themselves a bit. They, they they stick to, okay, I'm really good in finance. I'll just go hard into finance. I'm really good at AI. Go go into AI, but they they but if you want to speak to really the higher ups, right? You need to have a more well rounded knowledge, business knowledge of the technical side and and everything. So I think the MBA uh, has, is helping you with regards to that. Maybe I add one more thing as well. Right? I, I think uh without a strong technical background, right? Sometimes it's a bit hard to understand why certain decisions has to be made and the constraints. 
So let's say, for example, if the CEO want to do AI projects, right? And then uh, the finance team, without knowing the technical complexity of AI, they will say, how come for the past 10 projects, nine of them failed to make it to productions and they consume so much money in terms of the, the computing costs. Like, so so um, without having that, that, that knowledge of AI, right? And understanding that for every AI projects, uh, there's, it's an experimental phase where you can try things out. Uh, without that knowledge, a lot of the business leaders might not be able to take the decisions or make the decisions uh, to pursue such projects. And as a result, over time, right, the whole organization has become more conservative and this will have a trickle-down effect as well. So the next time when the AI engineers in the companies want to propose a project, they even if they know that there's this up-and-coming thing, let's say, called ChatGPT, which could revolutionize the entire customer support functions, they will not suggest it. In fact, they'll go for something that is more uh, easier to understand, simple, low risk, even though the value that it brings to the organizations uh, might be significantly lower as well. Yeah, so I think the, 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 the knowledge, expertise uh, of the leaders right, will send an overall message to the entire organizations in terms of their risk appetite and what kind of AI projects that they could uh, undertake. Right? And I think this is where um, in future leaders like, really need to have a very strong technical background to really be able to lead the organizations. Otherwise, right, uh, over time, the organizations become very risk-averse right, and become obsolete. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think um, when you're talking about all these projects, it's a bit of uh, reminding me of uh, financial management, which we're both taking <laughs> right now. <laughs> is the MPV high enough? Is it above the, <laughs> the internal rate of return? <laughs> Stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, I think people have to look at AI as like maybe more of an R&D where you can't really get immediate returns. Like, okay, I'm going to put X dollars in, in AI. How many money, how much money am I going to get back? I think it's it's really hard to quantify when it's something that revolutionizes the the, the business, right? You can't really quantify the, the, the benefits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if, uh, even if, let's say the company is not doing internal R&D, right? Um, the, the procurement manager, for example, or the business unit leaders will also need to have some sort of understanding of AI. Um, imagine one day, 10 suppliers uh, come to a company for meetings, right? And each and every one of them want to sell you a chatbot, right? Uh, to improve your customer support functions, right? I mean, without a strong technical background, you wouldn't know what kind of questions to ask, what kind of solutions you're looking for. Uh, you just say, you know, I want a chatbot that can improve my customer experience by 20%. And that's it, right? And that's very vague. You might not know the exact solutions that you're buying and whether you're buying the right thing. So the organizations lack a smart buy capability, right? <laughs> They'll do a lot of dumb buys. <laughs> and now they, they, all the time they say, how come you're buying, you're subscribing to so many AI products and services, right? But they are not generating the returns that I want in the organizations. Therefore, in future, I will not want to do any other AI projects. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or from my experience, worse still, they're like, that's what you say, right? 10 suppliers, right? 10, 10, uh, 10 bits, right? Or, and they will, what they do is, oh, go for the lowest cost. Exactly. 
we'll do the lowest cost yeah. and like, oh, how come this standard's not high? How come it's not it's not as promised? But as what you say, you need to have that technical knowledge in the background. So yeah, um, okay. Um dialing it slightly once again back to NUS MBA. Um what do you think is your your how do you find it so far? And what, what do you think is the your your favorite part of the NUS MBA? Mm, I think I'm in a very fortunate position because I am in the dual MBA program uh, between uh, NUS and Peking University. So I get to spend one year in Beijing, China uh, from 2022 to 2023. And I get to spend my second year or the final year of my MBA at NUS. Right? Uh, I, I think um, this gives me an additional layer of uh, the, the, the perspective of two different countries. So let's say in China, the type of courses that they offer in MBA and the way that they interpret the course material is very different from NUS. Uh, because let's say, for example, in China, right, um, a lot of the, uh, when I took a class on corporate strategy, a lot of the case studies are based on Chinese tech companies like Pinduoduo, Taobao, Jingdong. Uh, whereas in NUS, a lot of the case studies are based on international companies, uh, mostly from America, Europe, Australia, etc. And of course, Asia. Um, so I think this is where I get a mix of both. And I see, see it as very, very interesting. And to come back to NUS, right? Uh, I think NUS, um, that what I like about NUS MBA is that it gives me the, 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 the Asia perspective, uh, particularly because I think a lot of the classmates here, uh, they are from Southeast Asia, uh, a lot of them. So they, they, the nationalities in terms of Southeast Asia's people, uh, in NES is more than uh, at China, of course. Uh, then uh, with that, right, the, the type of uh, discussions, ideas, and perspective that that is uh, highlighted during the class discussions are different as well. So you got to hear more diverse uh, opinions and perspective on international issues from my classmates. Uh, I think that's one aspect of it. I think, of course, another aspect of it is that being in Singapore, right, we have the opportunity to actually um, travel quite a bit uh, to different countries nearby. I think that also gives us another uh, different perspective as well to help us to become more well-rounded uh, global leaders in future after our MBA. Mm. And which country do you think, speaking of Southeast Asia, right, since we're on the topic, right, which country do you think, um, apart from Singapore, can utilize AI the most? Like, is the most uh, well-poised to fully utilize AI? In Southeast Asia, mm. I think uh, I think a lot of countries in Southeast Asia have the capabilities to do so. Uh, for example, right, if I'm not wrong, uh, in recent days I read an article on Vietnam. So in Vietnam right now, uh, a lot of the uh, school kids at a young age they are really learning how to code, uh, and uh, not just that, right. Uh, even if the kids are not aware of the of AI, right? But the fact that you no, know, in Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, right, they have companies such as Grab, uh, Gojek, and other AI-driven applications right now, uh, in their respective countries, right? So that actually gives the consumers, uh, or at least the students, a taste of what actually AI is. Like they might not need to know, for example, uh, the technical background of it yet, but at least they see the potential of it, right? Like with AI, with Google Map, you can navigate around uh, and give you directions. So I think they are seeing the the uh, the potential of AI, and uh, with that, right, I think that it will be the first level, right? Uh, being aware of 
the type of interesting things that AI can do. And hopefully that will drive that interest. I think that is uh, on the interest side. But of course, right, uh, on the government side, you start to see them uh, trying to invest in AI building capabilities. Like for example, teaching young kids how to code. And Indonesia, right, Gojek is very big there. I'll go to right now. And uh, of course, right, if the company is headquartered there, definitely they'll be hiring a lot of AI engineers locally as well. And that actually helped to create a local ecosystem uh, in terms of uh, the, the demand for AI expertise is there. So naturally, you know, with, with GoTo being Indonesia, naturally you expect that universities and other uh, private course providers or private education providers right, to start offering AI courses right, to, to fill the demand required by such companies. Otherwise, there won't be enough AI talents to help these companies uh, to try mm, 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 mm. okay yeah I think yeah education is so 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 important right uh, it's uh, like if if the kids from a very young age they're really comfortable with coding I think right now a lot of the people our age will be like uh, coding uh, technical stuff I, I, I can't I can't I can't do that or else if you give just give kids a bit of the coding knowledge uh, do a bit of Python or something from a young age they'll feel more They'll accept AI a lot easier, like, is what you were saying. I think very mm. good point. Yeah, and you're right as well. Uh, maybe I'll add one point as well. So I think uh, what is good at NES MBA is also is that uh, I think uh, NES MBA is a bit more forward-looking uh, in a sense that uh, they have a lot of uh, student clubs running uh, their own initiative. So uh, right now, I'm a core community member in the NES MBA uh, technology club. So I think uh, in last month, uh, we uh, past few weeks, we run a few AI workshops uh, with the same intention as well. It's really to drive the awareness of AI among the MBA cohorts, the classmates, and to equip them with the uh, uh, with the manual perspective of AI, like how they should lead their AI projects and uh, the potential disruptions AI might have in their own respective uh, industry. So I think uh, that's where I think it's very important as well. And uh, that's what I love about NS MBA as well. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Student student led initiative is always good, right? Because, yeah, you can't uh, always expect everything to come from the school, right? The school can give you their base knowledge, but you, there needs to be a lot of student led initiatives. Um, zooming out a little bit, right? Because I I was speaking to my to my friend, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to interview DP, and then uh, he's he got some interest in AI, so he he wants to ask a question. So it's like a requested question, right? Where like in in terms of the whole AI industry, right? Do you see it moving towards more of a pay to use sort of uh, uh, industry or more of a open source uh, for AI? Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question, right? Uh, right now, you're seeing two, two areas being uh, developed rapidly. Uh, on one hand, right, you see Meta or Facebook previously. Uh, they released a lot of open source uh, large language models uh, where uh, people can use to develop applications. Uh, on the other hand, right, you see, let's say, OpenAI uh, keeping their AI model closed, meaning uh, to use it, you have to pay for it. Uh, be it subscription, etc. Yeah. Um, so, so these two areas are developing very rapidly. But um, my personal preference is that uh, I think AI should be open source and this should be the right way forward. And there are a few reasons for doing so. The first reason is that by keeping open source, right, first of all, you are making the technologies that is so crucial to improving our productivity um, free and accessible to all. 
Um, the last thing that we want is to have a technology being recycled within a few major players and they have control of all the technologies. So I think being open source meaning that uh, making it accessible to all, that's number one. Number two is that by making it open source, right? You actually open up the, the source code actually to for people to inspect, to see what's going on. Uh, one area that is highly debated right now is whether uh, AI will destroy mankind or, <laughs> or AI will have any sort of like uh, implications mm-hmm. right, to us. Right? So if you keep it closed source, right? Uh, people might have a lot of speculations in terms of you know, uh, the kind of development work that the company is doing. But I think by having open source, right, you actually have to build trust. And trust is very important in the community, uh, be it uh, adopting it in your product or convincing the consumer that the AI is actually uh, uh, transparent, fair, and uh, it doesn't create any harm to you. Right? Um, so I think that open source is able to do that. Right? So I think in, in summary, right, keeping open source help to ensure accessibility of technologies to all, right? And that will help to drive innovations because imagine now everybody can use the technology to build more fancy uh, apps uh, to help uh, solve our day-to-day problem, okay? And secondly, by making open source, you're actually building trust. And by having trust, you increase the adoption. So you have the adoption increasing, you have the innovation uh, increasing as well. So overall, this will help to, have a, a synergy effect, a synergistic effect, and have to boost the overall uh, AI uh, capabilities and values that can create in our society. Mm-hmm. Yep. The more people that use AI, the 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 greater it will it will grow, uh, right? And imagine if they put something like the internet as closed source, so only like certain certain number of people can use it it's, it's but okay it's slightly different because this is, we're talking about the, the IP the intellectual property of AI but yeah I, I get your point so I think um, we've been speaking for quite a while already talk about yourself a bit how people can reach you if they're interested in AI and um, yeah please yeah sure so I uh, you can search for my name on LinkedIn I think I tried to google my name once right there are only one or two people with the same name as me in the entire world so definitely uh, you can reach me very easily by googling my name i think that's the this on the how you can contact me i think uh to end off right i think uh before I end this podcast i have to highlight again that ai is going to be a critical technologies uh in our lifetime you see countries right now heading to cold war towards big heading towards cold war because of ai right that actually shows the power of it even on the government level they're aware of it. The one who is able to control and um, have the, the, the most advanced AI, right? We have a significant competitive advantage in terms of economics and other things uh, as well. So AI won't be, won't, won't be going away. Um, it's very important that we are able to understand at least the principles of AI and how to use it to, um, to, to, to improve our productivity and ensure that you won't become obsolete. Remember, those who use AI will replace those who don't use AI. Yeah, yeah. That's a. It could be seen as encouragement, or could be seen as a very serious warning. But yes, thank you, Turbo. <laughs> thank you. So okay, I think with that we will conclude the first episode. I think it was a very good episode. I hope our listeners actually got a lot out of it. I certainly did get a lot, a lot out of it. So with that, I will close the the podcast. Thank you very much, Turbo, once again for coming. Thank you, Brian.
With that, we conclude the Tempo interview. Please reach out to him if you'd like to know more. We'll have a new guest next week, so please look forward to that. Thank you for listening to the Back to Biz School podcast, and I'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now. <laughs>